scenarios and helping them get a perspective. And then let's talk about, especially if you've got littles, let's talk about what that looks like. Um, in the counseling center, a lot of times we use feeling charts and you can download those. I, I always say I should get one, but there's so many out there. I don't know why I would. So, but you want to find a good wheel that's got, as your kids get older, that have a lot of different vocabulary in it. It's colored. It's really cool looking. And what that does is allows you to go from like disappointed to sad to devastated and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So as you get these scenarios going, you get your perspective, then what emotion might you feel? And then what would that emotion look like? Would it look like throwing yourself down on the floor? Or would it look like going, wow, I really wish I could have that tonight. That would have been so fun and I'm really disappointed. Welcome back to the Practical Family Podcast. This is Jennifer Bryant, and today my special guest is Michelle Niedert. Michelle is a licensed counselor with over 20 years experience. She's worked with kids on the school level, on the personal level in her practice, and she's also the director of the Community Counseling Associates in Dallas, Texas. I invited Michelle on because not only is she just a ball of fun, she, she's got wonderful, wonderful energy and such a compassionate heart for families and children as they grow. So I asked her if she would talk with us about managing emotions in the home. Mama, you've got a lot of people to manage, and they come with their own whole set of emotions and feelings. And we need very real practical tools for helping our kids to deal with their big feelings. But oftentimes, first, it requires us to be aware of ourselves. Michelle will walk us through scenarios and ask us questions and really get us to think about what it means for children to have feelings from a young preschool age to all the way through teenagers and high school. We're going to talk about it all today. Before we get started, just a couple of announcements. Practical Family has a sub-program. It's a wonderful program called Home on Purpose, and it's led by my good friend, Trisha Childers. She's created all the content and all the teaching, and what Trisha does is to help families to live intentionally in their home. She breaks down tasks that we have in the household into easy to follow steps. She's created video series that walk you through pretty much each room or area of your home and helps you to see it differently. To see organization as not just something that is one more thing to do or maybe a ton of other things to do, but something that will help you to bring peace and joy to your home so you can spend more quality time with your family. Make sure you check out all of our resources at practicalfamily.org backslash home on purpose. Trisha has released a brand new program today called the guide to a smooth school year. Pave the road ahead so the whole family can enjoy the journey. This is Trisha's program about preparing us for success as we start up our new school year whether you send your kids to school or whether you homeschool them there are very practical things you can take charge of now in your home to get everybody ready for the new school year and what better time to start than in the summer you can find the link in our show notes to get that program today if you order before the 26th that's this coming saturday you will get a special promotion of ten dollars off the entire course so take advantage of that now. Get it before Saturday and you'll get it at the cheapest price it'll ever be and get started managing your home for the school year. Here we go with our guest interview today, Counselor Michelle Niedert, right here on the Practical Family Podcast. 
I want to welcome you for the first time, Michelle. Michelle Niedert she is a professional counselor and here to talk to us about everything emotions related to our kids, right? Yeah, yeah. that is a fun roller coaster right now, for sure, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And uh, sometimes we kind of need to make light of it because there are so many things to 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 manage in our home, especially all this time that we've been so close and so connected to our families. Um, a lot of different things have, have come up, haven't they? Yes, it's yes. In fact, our counseling demand kind of took a dip. I think when everything first hit, people were like, what do I do? I don't even know what to do. I, can, I don't have time to get help, you know, but, and then the slumber, it started crawling. And now it's like, I mean, there's wait lists everywhere, at least in Texas for counseling. I'm adding two more staff members just to try to keep up with our demand and, and service them well and trying to get them training and onboarded well too, because I do think this is a time where emotional intensity is just on the rise for sure. The research says it. we just got an email from the National Institute of Mental Health and adult depression before COVID was about one in four adults experienced at least one episode a year. And now we're one in three post COVID for just the two months. I think they were doing the research on March, um, April and May. So that, that they, they, they were starting to publish the June results. So, yeah, it's definitely on the increase. And we know that's going to impact kids, too. Oh, for sure, for sure. And that's what we're here to talk about because we know that, um, and sometimes it's hard to admit that us as, as parents because we're supposed to keep it all together, keep our household sane, stay sane ourselves. You know, maybe we're not so much worried about all the home cooked meals anymore. There have been plenty of takeout lately, but whatever basically allows you to, to, to have your space. And I, I hear a lot of parents talk about, you know, I need time away from my family because it's been too much, you know. So you got, you got different ways to look at boundaries like that. And parents are like, is this okay? Am I still a good enough parent, even though I need a break from my kids right now? Yes. Let me just answer that as a professional therapist. Not only do you need to feel permission to do that, it is a necessity that you do that. Because, I mean, we were originally kind of designed to miss one another occasionally. <laughs> There's not a lot of missing going on right now. And when we don't miss people, we don't appreciate them as much in general. Amen. So Amen. I definitely think some tag team among the parents and even, you know, involving maybe some other family members or friends. If you've got a COVID circle going on, super important. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay, well, we're going to talk about how to do that um, definitely here on Practical Family, and I love that you address those things. Let me take just a second to, in, to formally introduce you, Michelle, because um, I've been watching you in, in writer circles and in social media circles, and I know you're, you're helping so many um, areas of our, of, of our small little internet circle uh, to take care of themselves. You know, if it's not writers and speakers, it's the parents and the moms behind what we're all doing. So I love that you're here for us. So as you mentioned before, you are the clinical director of uh, Community Counseling Associates in Dallas, Texas. Um, you are a leader of uh, m mental health professionals, churches, school districts. Uh, Michelle's also created a crisis intervention program for large suburban school district. She's done a lot of things, you guys. So mamas, if you're watching Michelle for the first time here in Practical Family, I encourage you to go and check her out. Um, and we'll put all her links in here as well. But I want to also mention that she has just released a, a book called Loved and Cherished, and it's a devotional for 
tween girls, which I love because I have a tween girl right now. Mm-hmm. And she was the co-host of the Raising Beauties podcast. And I love that because I've also interviewed Lynn Cowell when she came out oh, with awesome. yeah. Brave Beauty. Yes, yes. So you and Lynn have co- co-written together, and I just love that so much because you both have so much to bring to the topic of understanding teens and tweens and all the maybe awkward ages of, of kid raising. <laughs> I mean, it really is. There's a lot of change that takes place between 8 to 12. Huge change. And the research psychologically in girls is huge in that age. Mm-hmm. Um, 8 to 9-year-olds generally like themselves, have a lot of self-confidence. You get into 12, the numbers are changing drastically. So we really were looking at some prevention there um, in that process. And for me as a mental health, everybody keeps going, why would you write a devotional as a mental health professional? But what I put in there was like preventative work to help protect kids from really developing full, like develop practices that would help them maybe either manage those intense emotions better or maybe prevent them from getting so severe in the first place. So yeah, super important. And and I think such an important age group. And then we get to the next age range and their brain's just like, I mean, I've got a child who's 13. It's like some days the brains aren't working. I mean, the hormones are just there and the middle school brain is pruning and it's just, I've been a middle school counselor. It is like a different world. It's like a whole different world. And then it's like they start coming out of it about 15, 16 years old, except they then feel the pressure to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. And that's incredibly stressful too. So yeah, definitely hitting major milestones throughout those years. Oh, you know, and it's so necessary, I think, for us parents to be aware of those things. I what I hear on my side of things when I talk to moms and the struggles that what or what moms tend to struggle with um, tends to be the, okay, am I a good enough parent? Because I can't tell because my kids are either all over the map or they're not listening to me or they're um, wanting to do their own thing, but I don't know if I should let them, let them yet. And I think a lot of that is uh, would might be alleviated if we understood child development a little bit better and if we understood the emotional um just just those the development milestones that you're talking about. So Michelle, as you talk about on your platform, how th- that you want to empower children to struggle well. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by allowing them to struggle, but do it well? And how can we help them with that? So the first thing that we want to be prepared for is that our kids, if your kids are gonna struggle, you've struggled. I mean, if I go like, how many people wanna go back and do middle school? You're not going to have a huge number of hands raised. So your kids are going to hit disappointments in life. They are going to hit rejection by peers. They're going to hit everything that the rest of us have all experienced. So it's it's kind of even from like a count, like a scriptural base, not if we experience suffering, but when we experience suffering. And I think somehow we think if we are good enough parents, like we can bubble wrap them in such a way to protect them from some of that. And that's just not possible. In fact, I I love, my sister has a book, Melissa Spolster called Total Family Makeover. And the main premise of that book is your kid's behavior is not your parenting report card. Mm. Your behavior is your parenting report card. Your intentions, your emotional management, your planning, because you can raise three kids in the same home with very different results. And so we cannot judge how good we are as a parent Oh my gosh. I mean, some days I'd be like the most phenomenal parent ever. And then some days I would be like 
worthless and really our parenting needs to be more consistent than that so it needs to be based on our intention and then our kids are they need the freedom to be who they are and kind of mess up along the way too and be messy as human beings because otherwise you know we talked about that brave beauty they lose confidence in taking risk and failing forward and that is so important now the good news is with what else going on right now our kids have had to make major adaptations increase their flexibility tremendously and i think with that we could raise a really resilient generation right here because they've adapted to mask living in living out going to school doing school online they have had a lot of adapt adaptations to make and i think that's just so good because really and truly they have a chance of doing that well of struggling well and if your child's not struggling well they're truly just struggling and we're starting to see that coming forth here then we do want to work with them on like brain flexibility and plasticity we want them to work on um being more like like when i work with the preschool teachers i teach them like we want them to be like pipe cleaners not like the popsicle craft sticks because if if the world pushes on them we want them to bend and go back up and bend and go back up not break and snap in two pieces and so we really have to help our kids learn perspective like for example if i tell you we can't get uber tonight i mean i'm glad some of y'all are taking takeout there have been some nights of desperation in our house where uber is the cook and the deliverer and i guess the dishwasher i don't know but if you're there and but you say maybe y'all planned on it and then you realize you have some food that's going to go bad and so they have to eat it and your child starts melting down like they just found out a grandparent died the perspective's off right now sometimes it's off for different reasons maybe they're exhausted maybe they're starving and their blood sugar's off but we still want to help them keep a good perspective because that's a huge part of managing emotions so the way we teach it in our office and you can even teach it to your kids is on a scale of one to ten like what do you think a typical emotional reaction to you could play this game at dinner one night to a death in the family would be well, it depends on how well you knew that person and how much they met in your life and how often you had contact with them so that may even be different for different members of the family but then and it's good to talk about death because that's going to happen eventually and we also want to talk about death because we don't want our kids taking their own lives so we want to talk about death and how important it is not to die as crazy as that sounds with the teen suicide rate being the second highest killer now of kids next to car accidents we need to start working on that earlier so we want to say okay death in the family one to ten uber not coming tonight and you were really looking forward to chick-fil-a one to ten you know and helping them learn perspective so they can practice that mm. and that's a lot of emotional management sometimes we want to work on that you know not picking up your shoes one to ten moms Ooh, i hate that because that really convicts me sometimes i'm like the third time i've seen the shoes i'm like ready to go to like 11 and a half but that's really not an accurate modeling of perspective their shoes mm, so comparing so, so doing the scale game like you're saying and comparing um scenarios for yeah them. life scenarios and helping them get a perspective and then let's talk about especially if you got littles let's talk about what that looks like um, in the counseling center, a lot of times we use feeling charts, and you can download those. I, I always say I should get one, but there's so many out there, I don't know why I would. So, but you want to find a good wheel that's got, as your kids get older, they have a lot of different vocabulary in it. It's colored, it's really cool looking. And what that does is allows you to go from like 
disappointed to sad to devastated and everything in between. Mm. So as you get these scenarios going, you get your perspective, then what emotion might you feel? And then what would that emotion look like? Would it look like throwing yourself down on the floor? Or would it look like going, wow, I really wish I could have that tonight. That would have been so fun and I'm really disappointed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So allowing them, so role playing with them helps, you're saying. So, so what about the kids who are still having trouble getting control of their emotions or their tantrums last? And we are so tempted to just throw a solution at them quickly. Like what, what, what do you find or why do you find that parents tend to do that versus um, kind of persevering a little bit longer? I mean, I'm not saying I know what the exact right answer is all the time. <laughs> but what I'm thinking about is this, like, okay, so the first thing is whatever your child started the tantrum over is no longer the topic of discussion. The topic of discussion is just about learning calm down skills. Hopefully you've taught them in advance using, and I can give you some great tools that I teach school counselors to use, but you can do these at home. Pinwheels, teaching them how to breathe in and out, like in deep breaths, in through their nose so they don't hyperventilate, and out through their mouths. And, you know, you can have a little calm down box. We had a calm down step. We didn't really have a timeout thing in our house. We had this calm down step. And, you know, there might be a pinwheel there. There might be, um, as the kids got older, a scripture there, like be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And I might need to take that on my glasses and my forehead and everything else myself as a mom. I had a calm down room and I would model that. You know what? Uh, mommy's brain is not working right now at all. Mommy needs to go to her room and calm down so she can talk to you. You stay on the step. You work on calming your brain down. Mommy's going to calm her brain down. And then we're going to talk. And there's tons of research about this. Um, our family and marriage therapist, um, John Gottman, like one of the theorists we use a lot, he actually, and we do this with couples sometimes. I don't, like, I don't know if you know this, but the flash on your phone is a heart rate monitor. I don't even know where it is now that there's multiple ones. But, um, but when it was one thing, it was a heart rate monitor. I'll have to check that out now that I have three. But... Um, the 10 had just one and it was a heart rate monitor. So you, they would take a baseline. And if you go, so if you go into a cardio zone while you're sitting down, you are too, your brain's no longer working. You're too angry to really speak well and edit well. And you're, 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 you're activating a different part of the brain that you want to use when you speak to people you love. So that it actually starts beeping. Like I show the clinicians, the love lab, and it's like beep, beep, beep. And you can't talk till the beeping stops and your, and your, your heart rate's down. So we kind of want to use that same idea in our homes that we value peace. You know, unless you've got a two-year-old, even then, just work on calming them down because that's the most important skill you can teach a two-year-old. Mm. Not eat your food now, not put your shoes on, but like how to manage your emotions well. So I, but especially once they get older, they don't need immediacy. You know, if they talked back to you, you can work on that in a little bit. Right now, we just need to work on them calming down so they don't keep doing what they're doing. Mm. Or the other thing is you don't begin to match that. See, emotion is energy in motion. And it's depending on how you're wired, a lot of times it's really easy to catch that emotion. Mm. And that's where we look at anger, begetting anger. And we want to watch that. But it doesn't have to be anger. It can be other emotions in the house too. But so we, we want to do is own our emotions and be anchors because we know how to regulate ours so the kids can regulate theirs too. 
I see that that is such an important point, Michelle. So you're saying because energy is in is in motion, or emotion is energy in motion, rather. Yeah. Um, us being the anchors, no matter what emotion they're spewing, mm -hmm. we need to be that safe place for them. And the and so you're saying calming down, learning to calm your emotions down, is more important than even obedience, or just that it needs to come first. It needs to come first. It needs to come first. I don't. I don't want to discount character. But a lot of times kids aren't having character issues is what we find, you know, especially a lot of boys who are young have sensory meltdowns. They've kind of been in a situation where all day they've been overstimulated at school or they're exhausted or they're hungry. All those things can affect kids a lot. And so sometimes what a parent will tell me is a temper tantrum, you know, I'll get it. We'll get an OT screening. We'll realize it's a sensory meltdown. Mm. And my son does better. I don't need to correct his character. I need to get him wrapped in like a heavy blanket or a hoodie and then he can calm himself down and then his brain can work better and he can cooperate with me. Mm. And so it really wasn't, it, it's just, he's so emotionally like hyper aroused. He can't do that with me because he can't do anything in that moment sometimes and stuff and, and that really gets important with adolescents too you definitely see that with them sometimes sure. but the more you behave that way i find and i'm really watching this with my teenage daughter you know i kind of like i think i was offended that she was kind of losing it with me when she got to be 10 because i thought again this is an understanding developmental milestones and i was forgetting she shouldn't be doing that anymore she hadn't been doing it for a couple years what's this about well this is about hormones and brain store brain pruning and also expectations of independence that might not be that we agree on and stuff like that so it's just really important that at first I was kind of like meeting her energy with my own intensity that doesn't work it actually makes everything just really awful and then you start saying things you regret and then you don't even want to discipline them because you've been worse than them and you know it you know so it's much better to work on being aware there are going to be times when their emotions get out of control and that you don't match them. And it get, I think it gets harder as they get a little bit older and they're in the car with you, sitting beside you, you know, and that happens. I, I know that's where a lot of people I've talked to in their own childhoods have experienced being slapped in the face because they're in this like place and, mom, you know, the parent doesn't have control. And we don't want to teach it. We want to teach our, we want to model and teach our kids that emotional self-regulation. Yes. And I do believe, um, it can be a faith-based like fruit of the spirit. So definitely I think there's a spiritual component to it. I believe there's a um, habitual component to it. So that's really important. The more you practice it, the easier it comes to you. Mm -hmm. Right? Just like brushing your teeth. Nobody like really in adulthood we hope is thinking, oh, I need to brush my teeth this morning. It's kind of like you wake up, you do these things in this order, and it's just this natural flow. If anything, if you don't, you feel weird. Mm-hmm. That's how we want to feel about the habit of being regulated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we have to reset ourselves because like right now, I feel like the whole country is having to reset itself because there's a lot of stress coming in. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to spend more time like regulating ourselves so we can kind of manage that well. But some of this is about expectations too. I'll give you a little trick. The bigger the gap between expectations and reality, usually the more intense emotion, whatever it is, you're going to feel. So if you expect your kid to fail something and they do really well, you're going to have exuberant joy, right? Because you're like, wow, that kind of thing. But if you expect your child to follow your rules and they start not, 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 
you can really develop some intense anger towards this child. Mm -hmm. And then you got to readjust, you know. True. So, so that is the, I think the point I was asking about before, if we don't understand what are appropriate developmental things at different age, you know, ranges, then we are setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointment. If I ex expect that my kids should know this by now because they're this many years old, but maybe emotionally they're not there yet. Maybe it's a, a male female thing I don't know I don't know the research behind that necessarily but maybe it's just a the type of kid they are you know my more compliant daughter is probably gonna do more than than my son who tries to get out of stuff but then when I try to hold them to a, to one standard instead of their own growth development yes yes and I think there's a lot there's a lot of components to look at in this one is temperament so the strengths and weaknesses are going to be natural in every kid, definitely. Um, another thing is their own development. And we want to know the generalities. And then if you've got a kid with some special needs or a diagnosis or something like that, there may be some delays. And and then we look, and when I say temperament, we're looking at introvert, extrovert. So my, my daughter can tolerate a lot more just like crowds and activity and chaos than my son can. She keeps saying, I can't wait till he's in youth group. And I'm like, he would hate youth group. Like the youth group you're talking about has like 300 kids in a building together. You love that emotional expression of worship and stuff. Your brother likes online church. <laughs> he's not, but God didn't make him this. I mean, he's just not the same person at all. Um, and so understanding our children and their ways they've been created and made and how they work. That's why I wish I could write a book for every parent on their child, but I can't because every kid is so different. You know, sometimes it takes a team of us brainstorming together. And really what I try to get parents to do is not to do the same thing and expect a different result. Yeah. Yes, and yes. to really try something new and try it long enough to see whether it really works or not. Hmm. And then maybe to try something different if it doesn't. Because we have to kind of study those kids and how they work to help them help you figure that out and how you work too. It's, it's, it's really different. The dynamics that go into those interchanges. But again, I think when we get down to managing these difficult emotions and we're starting with the base emotions of like sad, mad, scared, happy, mm -hmm. but this is the problem. And this is why I'm out here doing this. And you know, this right now, I'm so passionate about this because in the mental health world, sad can lead to depressed. Scared can lead to anxious and even panic attacks, like depressed to suicidal, you know, anxious to panic attacks. And then parents are like, where'd this come from? This has been building in the body, unless we got some weird hormone thing going on. Every once in a while, we're like, where'd this come from? We don't know. But I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm always surprised in my office when a parent goes, where'd this come from? And I'm like, tell me about your history. And the parents had anxiety since they were two and they've been on medication since they were 12. And I'm like, are you really surprised your child might? Like, I mean, they inherited your hair color. Would it surprise you? You know, and then they're like, oh, I don't know why that surprises me, you know. And and there's a level they may have learned from you, too, if you're externalizing your worries and stuff like that. They may be picking up on that as well. Mm. Now, they may not. They may blow you off. They may have a different temperament. You may be married to someone who doesn't worry at all, and they're more like them. And they just like, what is wrong with you? You know, but everybody's wired so differently in those ways. But 
I think it's just really important. So we look at that, that mad and that sad and that scared. And then with mad, we can get into, you know, like hurt mad that leads to real anger. And once that fuse gets shorter and shorter, it gets harder. Like we have to work on extending the fuse back out. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you what, that's the one thing that I worked the hardest on. I grew up in a home where the fuse was short with one of my parents. Mm -hmm. And I really worked on that fuse in parenting because I didn't want my kids to struggle as much with that. My son sometimes looks like his fuse is lit, but he's really overwhelmed. So his looks like anger a little bit in the way he talks to us, but it's really the anxiety. He is so overwhelmed because he's such, he's a little naturally driven to perfection, you know, those kind of things. If he can't figure out in his head how to do this right, and, it, and his brain gets locked there, it's real hard for him to get unstuck. The craziest thing you do, you cannot, like you talked about, try to fix or rationalize that kid. We just breathe first. I'm like, let's just take a moment. And then let's take a step back. On a scale of one to 10, how important is this assignment or project in the scope of you've got 12 years of school how many assignments you're going to have and then all of a sudden it goes from being this 10 situation he's like it feels like a 10 but it's really a three yes okay what does a three look like we've talked about it what does a three look like to you i can't get there i got you i got you dude it's hard it's sometimes it's really hard because our brains are stuck there and we feel that way sometimes so then there's other coping skills we can use for that we can we, breathing's one we can distract ourselves for a little while and see if our brain will unlock and calm down we can kind of give that person a chance like if they're like my son sometimes he needs just a moment to like me talking to him is stimulating him more i'm rapid firing at him i'm trying to help and i'm actually making it worse and worse and worse in that process are you laughing because you relate to that or no? It's natural that we think that that'll help, but it won't always help. And yeah. so I'll tell you what I do. I start talking really slow, mm. really quiet. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I sit there and I pray and I'm quiet and I take some deep breaths. And then sometimes I'll even say to him, can I pray for you? And I'm amazed at the difference that will make sometimes. I'll just kind of hold him because he likes, even though he's a little sensory avoidant, sometimes he's also sensory seeking. So sometimes kind of putting my arms around him like that just calms him down. And then I'm calm and I'm like, God, I know you got this. We don't feel like we have this right now. Can you help us? And they get to experience God in those moments then as that works in their lives. Amen. Absolutely. So not seeking to fix it right away, not seeking to discipline them for their um, perceived attitudes right away. Because like you said, with your son, it, it, what what his is actually anxiety for him looks a lot like anger or it look a lot like disrespect. Even. Yeah. We, can, we can be the anchor for our kids by taking a moment to just encourage them to breathe. And at the same time, we may need to breathe too so that we don't. <laughs> you respond to them like we don't you know like they don't need us to and and just take that moment to calm down because as you said earlier and I love this so much Michelle calming down needs to come first like if we if we all can learn to calm ourselves 
and have that self-control, but just kind of that space, more, more so that space to be able to see the reality of the situation, then we're less likely to have an adverse reaction that hurts everyone. And then the older your child is, the less you want to tell them and the more you want to ask them. Ooh, okay. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about older kids because, you know, when we've spent so much time raising and guiding and telling young ones what to do, when we have younger kids, when we cross that threshold into that middle school, high school, young adult, how do we need to be as parents with them at that point? What do we transition into? Coaches. And, and, and actually Jesus even more, I think, because he asked great questions. He so often didn't confront. So I've even, this is one of my favorite lines. My kids laugh because they hear it so much. So my son's kind of, oh, and then he's calmer for my daughter. And then I say, what do you think I'm going to say next? And they're like, you're going to say that it's going to be fine. And tomorrow's another day. And I'm still a valuable child of God. I mean, you know, and they use that voice like they've heard, you know, it's, it's worse than Peppermint Patty and the teacher, for those of you who are in the Peanuts Ace range of the cartoons. And that's great. Because guess what? Their brains have brought that forth. Mm -hmm. But even a better question sometimes I will ask my kids is, what do you want to do about this? And sometimes you're not going to like the answer. Like my son was sorting papers. He was so overwhelmed. And I have great systems for that. I mean, I just got paid as a school counselor to help kids like in 504 stay more organized. They bring their backpacks into me if they were failing and we'd work on their systems and things like that. And that, you know, my principal thought I was like a magic, but I actually was just calmly sitting with them and they would let me do it. Even though their mom probably tried a hundred times and they ignored her, you know, or, or blew her off. And so, He's decided on this system, which I think the minute he goes looking for papers, it's going to be all over the place. But he's got to learn that. Sometimes I don't, like I tell him, do you think that's going to work? You think you'd start doing, yeah, I think that's going to, okay, well, let's try it. And then I, it's better sometimes to wait as they get older to say, hey, this isn't working. What else can we try? Mom, what were you going to do? What were you going to suggest? You know, and I, I, or I might even say, you sure you don't want to try, like, I mean, I've got these great transparency holders and they could hold your papers and then instead of flipping through them and them flying, you could just literally, like, flip through them really quickly. They'd all stay in there. No, that sounds ridiculous. That'll take a lot of time. I'm willing to sit with you and help you. No, okay, okay. Let's try this. Let's see what you think. And then maybe if that doesn't work, maybe we could try one subject my way. But I wouldn't even say that then. I'd wait until the papers are all over the floor again and then say, hey, how's this working for you? <laughs> you know? And so I think that's a really important part is to become, and I coach my daughter very little now. Um, she's 13. Um, it's hard because I miss her in so many ways. Like I'm really starting to miss her more and more, but I should be if, I'm, if she's going to be ready to launch. It's hard. It's so hard. I grieve it. There's a great book I'm reading called unentangled that's written by some Harvard psychologists about letting your child unentangle. And these are the skills they should be gaining as that happens. And so it's been really hard for me to do that. Cause I, I mean, we're so attached when she was younger, but I also want that. I want her to be able to manage her own schoolwork and her own social life and, you know, her own room or, and when it's bad, we regut it and we start over again and all those kind of things, you know, that's part of learning and growing up. And, we want to give our kids a chance to do that. 
especially once they start middle school. It's going to be hard too. If you're in public education, I mean, the school's going to push the teacher to push back on you. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's appropriate to say, I've had these conversations with my child. Have you had these conversations with my child? Oh, you've had them too. How effective have any of us been? <laughs> okay, so at some point they have to figure it out. Sure, sure. Instead of, and I like that too, instead of letting the, the, the school tell you how to parent or waiting for them to say, it's like, well, we're coming at this from this way and at some point it's going to click in the kid's head or we just have to let them experience what, what well, the hard part they're this part of the brain the most important the part that like manages a lot of task initiation emotion the frontal lobe not fully developed till 24 to 26 in the average child mm. michelle i got married when i was 22. <laughs> <laughs> right. this is what i think sometimes i'm like looking at my child and i think i am talking to an undeveloped brain and i'm praying that mine is finished like i'm 50 i'm like double now but sometimes I wonder, I feel like mine's on the decline the other way some days, depending on, and I'm really making mistakes. Like, I mean, I did puberty and menopause at the same time. Can you even imagine? I've got a daughter going through puberty. I'm going through menopause. That is not a good hormonal combo, for sure. That's where we need to have a lot of grace. Mm -hmm. I think a tremendous amount of grace for our kids, for it to be, and for our parenting to be messy, for them to be messy, to learn that in the home and stuff like that. Like you talked about having a sense of humor. To kind of laugh at it all sometimes is good. Um, and, and I laugh with my kids. I'm like, how can y'all not be neat? I mean, look at my office. And then they die laughing because my office looks like a tornado went through it. Half the time, you know? So I know from whence they come. Yeah. <laughs> from whence they come, yeah. <laughs> so I got to be realistic about that. And there are times I do better with my stuff than others. And there are times I like try to get somebody to help me with that. But I think whatever your child is struggling with, now let me say this, I do want to address this because I think it's so important. If your child seems to be moving in a direction that does not seem typical for other children their age, you know how you find that out? You talk to other parents. Yeah. Not to compare yours, but to kind of take a, like sometimes I'll take a poll. I sent out a text recently that said, hey, what time, we're in middle school now and we're getting older. What time are y'all shutting phones down? Just to find out that I'm not an unreasonable tyrant. In fact, I was kind of later than several of them. So I'm like, hey, I should be getting brownie points. Let me correct this with you, child. I just took a bowl. So, you know, it can be earlier. You want me to go with the average? Because the average in your class is 9 o'clock, not 10. I'm actually on the high end of this. I need some points for this. <laughs> but I think also just checking with parents. Does your Is your child, like, how long does it take your child to get this homework done? And if your child's taking double, triple as long, then we need to start looking at what's going on with that child because we don't want their frustration level to become too high, whether it's with homework, emotional management, whatever it is, we need to make sure something's not going on there. Learning disability, you know, because I spent 10 years in the public education system, learning disabilities, auditory processing issues. I was a reading specialist, dyslexia. But, you know, I love this one book, Smart But Scattered, because I think it describes me and half the population. Mm -hmm. But there's um, executive task management doesn't get done until the frontal lobe's developed. But it's, some, it's a skills we can teach some of our kids. And some of us are inborn with those, so we expect our kids to just, like, be inborn too. And they're not. Mm -hmm. And the more chaotic things are becoming, the lower attention spans are becoming with screens. We need. To, my husband said to me recently, I'm struggling with focus at work in this house. I'm like, why? <laughs> what? I mean, 
uh, yeah, he's used to working in an office in the setting he's in. He was a traveling healthcare consultant before this all hit. And he's used to being in a hotel room finishing things up. And now he's being torn between family dinner, activities, his work. And then he's having trouble concentrating because his wife comes in. He hears his kids playing. You know, there's all these dynamics going on. He almost saw the bird, eat, the cat eat the bird today. I don't even know the whole story behind that. But I kind of heard some of it. So it's easy to get distracted right now, you know. So he actually, I'm, my husband is just like this. That's one of the reasons I think he's so hot. But, like, he started, like, watching YouTube videos on how to focus better. And, you know, he's like, I need to start exercising more. Like, I've really gotten worse on that lately. He's like, um, I need to set some more, like, the boundaries that you we had in the beginning. Like, when I only worked here on Fridays, I think we need to go back to that. And so he even began like setting timers and just trying to focus for longer periods of time and retrain his brain in that way and stuff like that. And we all sometimes need that reboot and helping. I think we're going to have to help our kids learn those skills too. So some of it is when we see a kid struggling and then there's a point where we need to get them in front of experts who see lots of kids like I, you know, I've seen thousands, you know, I serviced a school district of 13,000 I've been doing this 20 years, thousands and thousands of kids and families. And here's the good news. Every once in a while, I had this one mom come in. It was the most, I love this story. I will know. I'm just grateful for her for the story. She brings her son in. She's got my personality, who's never met a party she didn't love, you know, and a group of people she didn't enjoy discovering. So she's got this son who's made just like my son. My son has one best friend and his father, and he needs no more people in his world. You know, he's got a couple on the externals, but not anything like his, his sister and I. So she brings her son, who's a ninth grader, into me. He's got two best friends. He's doing well in school. Um, he comes down for dinner a couple times a week. It's a little much for him every night, you know, and he's asked them to kind of have a break from that. Um, after, especially once he started like band or something, he was at school late. Like he's been around too many people all day. And she's like, I'm worried something's wrong with him. Is he getting depressed? He seems to be a more isolated, da, 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 da. So I talked to him and I like check on his sleep and check on a lot of other things. And I'm like, your son works just the way he was supposed to work. He is only going to have a couple friends. That is the way he likes it. He doesn't care what people think because that's the way he was made. You were made very different. And he's doing great. She's so funny. She's like, best check I've ever written in my life. Like, she was so worried. She was so worried. And I think just hearing from someone else that I see lots of boys like your son, and that's a normal category or typical category, that there's no interventions needed here. Mm. Now, I, now, and I told her, if he starts not coming down to dinner at all, see, if we go to extremes, he, he loses all his friends. You know, that type of thing. He wants to drop out of band. You get him into me right away. Mm. Mm -hmm. But where he is now for who he is, is right on target. Mm. How freeing. Mm -hmm. what, a, what a freeing um, statement. I mean, from a therapist who has right. seen thousands of kids, but also, you know, affirming that we were all made different parents and children. We are made with different temperaments and personalities. and. Mm -hmm. When to know that that's okay, that, that, is, that is a beautiful picture right there. I love that. Yeah, and so I think just being aware, if your child's really going down, like if, they're, if you're in a world of standardized testing and they're going way below the norm and their IQ is not, you know, I try to educate parents on some of that, then we do want some testing done to see what's causing this gap. 
Where is it coming from? What's going on? And are there other contributing factors we need to be aware of? That type of thing. Because we we can have ADD turn into like anxiety, turn into depression because it's a it's a bad snowball that just continues. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's just, um, I haven't told you about my best friend struggling with depression and I'm so worried about them I can't focus. Mm. And sometimes that's one of the things I'm really trying to work with parents on is talking about some hard things so that your kids will come to you with those hard things mm-hmm. and letting them know you want to be that landing spot for that. You, some kids worry they're going to disappoint you or they're going to overwhelm you because you already look so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so one message I really love for parents to send to kids is there's nothing you're going to face that God and I and you can't handle together. We're going to figure this out. Amen. Right? You're talking, Michelle, about, about allowing kids to see us, us struggle as, as parents or oh, well, yes. it without putting it on them is what you're talking about. Like yes. let's, let's normalize talking about difficult feelings and situations. And, and the, a lot of times people will ask me like, when is it not appropriate? When is it appropriate? You don't, if you're stuck in the middle, you can say mommy's struggling. Like, I mean, I, my grandmother died in the middle of COVID. Mommy's a little sad right now. Grandma died. Um, it was Saturday. I think I said, uh, no, I took a day off and I just said, mommy's going to hang out in her PJs today and just, she doesn't have a lot of energy. Now, if mommy's doing that four weeks later, we got a problem. Mommy's gotten stuck and it's time for mommy to own that and start working that out. Right. But it's, I think it's good for our kids to see that. And, and it's for them to say, I know that grandma's in a good place and I know things are good for her, but mommy misses her right now. And mommy's sad. Mommy's sad that there's not like all her family's not coming in and we're not going to celebrate how special grandma was for 97 years to us. Mm. You know, those kind of things. And so I think verbalizing those are important. And then I asked my, I asked my son because we have had a, some of his issues have come because at Gosh, I think he was only four. My husband's twin sister and her husband both were diagnosed with cancer and they died one within two years and one within five. So he watched the worst nightmare of a child's life. His cousins lost, his three cousins lost both their parents in a very short period of time. So you can't tell my son parents don't die and both parents don't die because he experienced that. So I asked him, you know, death's been hard for you. How are you doing with grandma's death? He's like, that's ah, it's different than Aunt Jen and Uncle Dwight. Like he could kind of, he's counselor's kid. So he's like, you know, we kind of expected it. She's older. I wasn't as close to her. I'm not worried about anybody like I was when I was worried about my cousins. You know, it's just different. I'm like, so you're doing okay? He goes, yeah. And then he said something really funny. He said, but I still miss Wiley. And that was our family dog died in the middle of all that too. And my uncle. So there was a lot of death in less than very short period of time for a four to seven year old to experience for sure. Mm -hmm. And so when those things happen, we may have to get our kids a little extra help. Mm -hmm. Um, The school counselor worked with him a lot Mm -hmm. and I I got him OT during that time for some sensory issues too. So everybody's really different with this, but I think the main thing we need to say is if our kids are either exploding with their emotions or imploding with their emotions, Mm-hmm. then we want to get them help. And I want to warn you something about that. I have so many parents who say, she says she's depressed or anxious, but she's always smiling around her friends. Nobody's going to become the target in the middle of school. Nobody's going to do that. I think it's really important to understand that our kids are going to still put their mask on just like we do. 
Right. And you may still really be struggling underneath that. Right. Yes. That's so good. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for that. That's I, you gave us a lot of great um, tips, but also uh, suggestions and even warning signs about you know when is it a good time to seek this out, and then some really important truths about just what's what's normal. I think that's what all of us need to understand on on kind of a broader spectrum, like we're probably doing okay. We're probably doing better than we think we are. I agree. Are the red flags to look for? And I love that so much. Um, before I let you go today, um, will you please talk to us about your loved and cherished devotional? Because for those of us with tween girls, um, and especially mamas who need help connecting to their daughters, maybe you didn't have um, a good mother-daughter relationship yourself, or maybe you kind of need to know what that could look like or feel like with your tween, how is loved and cherished um, going to be a good tool in okay. And I want to say, you want to start this as young as you can, depending on where you are. We wrote this, and you mentioned Bright Beauty. Bright Beauty is about 400 words a day. This is 300 words a day. Mm. So I really like that. We were excited. As a reading specialist, I was excited to do that. I even thought about word count and vocabulary when I was writing. Um, takes less than three minutes for the average kid to read it. I do think this is a great thing to do, mother and daughter together, to retake turns. Maybe somebody reads the scripture, that's the first part, and then somebody reads the narrative, which is the second part. And then we, we put in this a living cherish section, which is a really like um, practical application and even a journaling. It's sometimes journaling. Like one of mine is like take something to school that reminds you that God is always with you. Maybe you carry a rock around. And just like God is always with you, that rock is with you all day. And it can just help you every time you touch it, remember that God is there. Or it might be something like I opened this one and it says, write a description or draw what it looks like for God to bring you close to him. Because some kids like to write, some kids like to draw that out. And then it has a prayer that you can either pray over the kids, they can pray, y'all can pray together. Maybe repeat after me, those kind of things. But I have had a lot of moms say, this has been a, like, in the midst of this crazy world where we often feel not good enough, being reminded that they are loved and cherished has been really, really inspiring and reinforcing to them as well. Um, I also like this. My best friend just told me the sweetest stories. One of my best friends, her daughter is struggles with reading and doesn't really like to read. So she's got this friend who's like reading, I think she's reading like the whole Left Behind series. And they're like in fourth grade, like really way above where you would expect somebody to be reading. And in the past, she's always asked her, well, what are you reading? And her daughter would say nothing, you know, because she didn't like to read. But I brought the girls a copy of the book. And she said, I'm reading this book called Loved and Cherished. And every day it's a different topic. And I, I want to tell you some of the topics I've read about. So this, so my friend's like, I am so excited to find out that my daughter likes to read about 300 words a day. But 300 words a day is so much better. I mean, as a reading specialist, I'm so excited because it's better than zero words a day. Sure. sure. Right? Like, yeah. that is way better. And so I think um, even just using this to encourage your child to maybe create a daily practice of saying good morning, God, or good night, God, could be really helpful. But we also wrote things on anxiety. Um, feeling like you're not enough. I wrote things about being a warrior because there are girls who are built strong and kind of like me, kind of like they're a bull in a china cabinet. They're a little, they're a little too much sometimes for the world when they're young girls. Mm. But they grow up to be incredibly 
powerful female leaders and I don't want them to feel squashed or that they need to like pull it back or something's not right with them. They just, they're not in the season that's coming for them. Right. Right. Oh, how empowering. Michelle, what a great resource. And I will make sure to put this link as well as the link to your website in the comments. Um, and you do, uh, uh, well, you are working with the counseling services here, but do you offer your own um, individual services or is it mostly through that counseling center? How, how can people reach out to you if they need help in that way? Yeah, I think um, right now probably the best way would be to go to yourmentalhealthcoach.com which is much easier than spelling my last name. Or um, if you're in Texas and you want telehealth services, we're, we're starting to really fill up, but we do offer um, services through communitycounselingassociates.com. And if you're out of Texas, we're working on a nonprofit that you would be able to utilize. Right now, all we can offer outside of our licenses mm -hmm. is a parent consult. So I do have a lot of parents who live in different parts of the country, and they're just like, I don't know what to, what a good counselor looks like. And, and then I teach them about like treatment plans, what a treatment plan would look like. And that somebody should discuss, be discussing that with your child, you and your child, you know, that there should be goals that they're accomplishing in therapy. They should not just be, I mean, they could be, it's, it's not a, it's not a wrong way to practice. It's just not what most parents are looking for that work with me is they don't want somebody to just listen and reflect what their child says. They're looking for someone to give them tools. Like we talked about that calm down toolbox tools they can use to help them manage the challenges in the mental health world. And maybe they're not full on mental health yet, but they're getting there. You know, maybe there are some social skills. Maybe they struggle with making eye contact. Um, maybe they're kind of impulsive and they need to slow down and think first. There's a lot of things, you know, I joke, my, one of my professors always said, any one of us would qualify for five of these diagnoses in this book, which was our, you know, diagnostic manual, the difference is we're functioning well. And when kids start struggling with functioning and adults, you know, I've had to take a step back a couple times during COVID and think, I think I need more rest. I think I need more quality time with people that I, I feel safe with and I know care about me and accept me for who I am and have no expectations. I, I think I need fun. Because fun, because I'm an extrovert, some of my fun got thrown out the window. You know, yeah. I think I need to figure out how to have fun because I value that. So I think there's a time when we can start feeling that stuck feeling and then take a step back and say, okay, what can I do to improve, you know, that quality of my life so these don't start popping out on me? Mm. Oh, so good. Michelle, you've, you've offered us so much more than, than gosh, than the average bear, I think. <laughs> I love, I love um, that that uh, sharing of ideas. I, I mean, I too am such an idea person, and I want to talk to you about all of the millions of tangents of these. I know, I know. I try to like just get parents thinking about this. So every kid's so different, and every family's so different. So maybe this one thing sounds more like you. This thing doesn't sound like you. And so that way, maybe you can grab onto something and say, okay. And that's what I would say. Do not work on all my tangents at once. We call that in the therapy office whack-a-mole. And it's a bad idea. You know that game in Chuck E. Cheese? You right. can't hit them all at once. It's not a good idea. Pick something. Right, right. And work on that one thing. Like yeah. maybe you're going to find the good in your kids right mm -hmm. now. That's the one thing you're going to work on right now. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're going to work on everybody calming down. Or maybe like I'm working right now, which normally I'm really working on my kids being really independent. But because we're in such a strange time, 
my favorite question to ask my kids right now is how could I serve you today? What could I do to make your life easier today? Mm -hmm. What could I I do to make it more happy and fun for you? Because they they, they are in the weirdest time. Mm -hmm. And so I want to try to do that more intentionally as a parent where before I might have been like, hey, you got a pretty good life and you're pretty entitled. Like, you know, you work on you. Mommy's not going to bring you your drink forever. Right. But right now, after being maybe on online school all day, the brain's tired, the feet are tired, you're getting to do something you like, maybe mommy will bring you a drink. Not because you can't do it, but I know you've mastered that skill and I can make your life a little easier today. Perspective. Love it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on to the Practical Family uh, podcast and into our resource group. There are so many wonderful resources out there, but my I, what I want to do is make it easily accessible for moms. So to be able to to watch and listen to a professional counselor before you have made the choice to go, maybe go and get counseling or sit sit with someone and figure out this the, this plan. You know, to figure out how to make. Um, large things and large emotions in your life simple. Thank you for taking the time to sit and watch Michelle and I go back and forth today about what's what are the important things that, that uh, parents can give to their kids when it comes to dealing with difficult emotions. So um, this has been Jen Bryant and Michelle Niedert, and we are happy to, to serve you and love you today. Um, visit us at, or visit me at practicalfamily.org where you can find more resources about how to deal with the common struggles in your life as a mom and to learn to love yourself and others well. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast with Jennifer Bryant and my guest, Michelle Niedert. Be sure to check out her devotional Loved and Cherished as well as other resources that we've talked about in today's episode. The links are all there in the show notes, whether you're looking at the blog page or on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you should all be right there ready for you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Practical Family Community by listening in. We know that we're reaching so many people across the nation and even the world. Would you do me a quick favor? Just go to where you listen to podcasts and rate us. Just give us a quick rating because it helps so much to raise awareness in the podcast community. Just a quick minute of your time will raise us in the ranks of the podcast world and let more people know that we're here. Remember to visit practicalfamily.org and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. We're also on YouTube, so my video of this interview is up there. If you want to see Michelle Niedert and I go back and forth, uh, that's there, as well as more episodes that we're adding weekly. This has been Jennifer Bryant with the Practical Family Podcast, where we are here to encourage you to find your strengths, to live loved, and to give the best of yourself to your family.